That means we have had two total sessions with the new Eberron book. So uh, stay tuned for that to begin next week for the first installment of the f*** did I end up calling it? (laughs) The Gates of Morning campaign. Live for the Mundangerous Faculty Lounge in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 227 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about teaching RPGs to new players. But first, the Rogue Traders wrap up in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Headmaster schools new students in the Character Creation Forge. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by the artisans at Elderwood Academy. They craft amazing gaming products, including, say with me, dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All of their products are crafted to look like spellbooks, roll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. So Ishan, did you know that Elderwood Academy has started producing aluminum dice as well as uh, their gemstone dice that we've talked about before. I did not, but now I do, and now I covet them. They have uh, they have those precision edges, you know, the ones that make them roll uh, either more fairly or at least stop rolling quicker. Uh, yeah, the ones where they stop almost immediately, so you're not waiting there for, I don't know, 10 or 20 seconds trying to figure out if that's a 4 or 14. Yeah, you're not spilling it halfway across your table, waiting for it to stop rolling. Right, you have that one person at your table who can't figure out how to like gently roll a die and instead flings it across the table, but of course then it bounces off and lands on the floor and then you've got to roll it again, or if you've got to decide what your house rule is, if you you know play it where it lies, or if it's cocked, if it's on the ground. Or it's like the, uh, the person who just tosses their dice in the air like an absolute mad lad. <laughs> <laughs> it always lands in someone's glass. Uh-huh, yeah. Don't do that, especially with these new aluminum dice, because you're going to break something. No, so they come in um, they come in unique patterns. I, th- I guess they must be anodized or something, because they are um, multiple colors. Like, usually aluminum dice or, or metal dice come in, like, either a single color, or they come with, like, a uh, maybe a patina on them. But these have, like, actual, like, splashes of color, or they have, like, um, like a, a partial color pattern on them. So... Um, they're cool. They've got like Phoenix Tears, which is sort of a flame color theme. They have Demon's Blood, which is black with red spatter. Eldritch, which is black with purple spatter. I don't know. I like them. They look cool. Yeah, it's all right now. Anodized aluminum, not great for cookware, very good for dice. Uh huh. All right. So if you like that product or many of the others, you can check them out at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. Speaking of hurdling, Shane, we are hurdling toward the end of our Band of Blades live stream. We are. We are in the final act of our Band of Blades campaign. Uh, is it going to end well? I don't know. Uh, it might. Uh, you have a puncher's chance of it ending well. Cool. You know what? I'll take it. This is a dark military fantasy world where everything is gritty and you die face down in the mud. So just a chance, I think, is about all we could have hoped for. I mean, talk about like high stakes, though. You have a chance of resurrecting a dead god or you have a chance of humanity losing forever so what else could be in the balance hey we thought humanity was going to lose forever previously so right it's you're just playing with house money (laughs) you know the worst that can happen is basically an exterminatus so people come back from that all the time horribly Uh tainted by chaos and you know living like uh the molochs uh, underneath the surface of the planet but we'll be okay Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm so you can check that out on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast. All right. Speaking of checking out, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? We're done. It's over. Well, sort for, of, kind of. For like the past 150 episodes, you've been listening to us talk about our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game. And finally, Dynasty Unwarranted is, uh, if not complete, at least on hiatus. It seemed like something big was about to happen, what with Doc giving his soul over to Chaos. Why are we stopping now? Um, Frankly, it's because Doc's player, Cameron, missed the session, so I couldn't (laughs) have a big, like, climactic (laughs) battle with Doc as a, you know, Lord of Change or some zinch demon. So it will happen someday, uh, but we just haven't played any further. That's as far as we've gotten. 
Yeah, exactly. We kind of maxed out the XP. We've pretty much maxed out the gear that's available. Uh, we maxed out the system, the game yeah. system. The game is done. <laughs> There's nowhere <laughs> else to go. It's just Threat 99, Demon Princes, and nothing else. Right. We are trying to figure out what system we might pick it up again in, but Wrath and Glory is now dead on the table. Uh, so I guess we're waiting for another licensed game from 40k we're we're waiting for wrath and glory 2 and then probably waiting for a few supplements to wrath and glory 2 yeah so we can actually play the same characters but i mean good news on that front ishan is uh well bad news for them but perhaps good news for us is cubicle 7 lost the license to the one ring rpg so they no longer have the tolkien license which means presumably they have a few extra resources available to devote to 40k and time on their hands Mm-hmm. so I don't know, get cracking and we'll play a game and recap it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, someday. Maybe. <laughs> in the meantime, uh, some people in Discord have asked us to recap some of the other games we've mentioned. Birthright, Dark Sun. First off, neither of those are actually done yet. Second off, neither of us ran those games. And mm, it's a lot of work to recap somebody else's game. It's also a lot of work for that person who ran that game to come on our show and recap it. Yeah, it's also kind of a little unfair to them to like take what they did as like a a piece of work for everybody at the table and, and then, then monetize kind of it, it for us. Well, I, no, <laughs> just to like expose it to so many more. Like they perhaps would have done something different in that campaign had they known that it would eventually be exposed to an audience. Hey, we're going to just borrow your journal. Do you mind if we just read it out loud on stage? Is that okay? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, knowing that we would get to this point, and also knowing that a new Eberron book was coming in 5e, I ran another Eberron game. Mm-hmm. And how did that turn out timing-wise, Ishan? Uh, I think it turned out pretty good because when this episode airs, it will be over. We've got one session left. As we record, yeah. But that means we have had two total sessions with the new Eberron book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was that or start once the new Eberron book is out and then a year later begin recapping. Right. So uh, stay tuned for that to begin next week for the first installment of the Gates of Morning campaign. All right, so this week, Shane, we're talking about teaching new players. It's, in- it's interesting that it took us 227 episodes to get to teaching new players. Uh-huh, yeah, whoops. <laughs> so this is, uh, I think this is a question that's been asked, you know, online and, and Discord. It's something people want to know about. You've got a, a new player or uh, new players, you want to introduce other people to the hobby or to your particular game, and they've never played an RPG before. How do you do that? So I think the first thing you want to do is get them excited, right? Like, sell them on RPGs. Why are they going to spend three to four hours per week um, sitting around with a bunch of strangers or maybe some friends for you know one night and continuing to do this over and over and over again. Like, what's the what's the reason for doing this? Yeah, this is your one chance uh, to finally impress your in laws. They've been rolling <laughs> their eyes for years at you, being like, "Why are you such a loser nerd?" And now mm-hmm. they're like, "Fine, fine, it's the holidays. We got nothing else to do. Break out your, I don't know, D elevens, right." Break out your nerd stuff and let's do this. <laughs> so I think it, that's important to realize where this new player is coming from, right? You want to look to their touch points. What is it that they do understand or that they do like that you can relate in some way to RPGs? So they know kind of what they're getting into. I think probably a really common touchstone for people is video games and specifically video game RPGs. Yeah, so like this is I think how a lot of people got sold in the 90s was like, oh, it's like Baldur's Gate, except the GM is the computer, Right. Or probably a more modern example is like, it's like World of Warcraft, except the GM is the computer, right? And the GM controls all the NPCs for you. And your dialogue options are whatever you want. Yeah. I'll adjudicate or, and then we'll roll some dice. Um, There's, of course, also a long running tradition of people coming from like tabletop miniatures games or tabletop war games or like um, more like tactical board games where. You know, the interest might be in the game mechanics or the system or the the tactical possibilities and permutations that could present themselves. Mm-hmm. You could have people who are just interested in, you know, logic puzzles, engineering or math puzzles, people who play the puzzle on, uh, on NPR. Uh, just this past weekend with my in-laws, I played an escape room, um, which 
you don't really need knowledge about fantasy or RPGs to play it all. You just are sort of working out logic puzzles, but there's a lot of crossover. It was dragon themed. There's a, there's a lot of just brute force in an escape room too. <laughs> like, oh, I found a number. Try it in every lock we can find. <laughs> you can have people who are interested in storytelling or world building. Maybe they write fiction or stories or, you know, poetry, or maybe they, you know, read novels, but don't necessarily play games. It can be the fiction of the world that really interests them. It could be the control that the players in the GM both have over the narrative. Yeah, so, you know, you might get them with, like, a licensed RPG, right? Like a Star Wars or a Game of Thrones or... Um, Buffy. It's always Buffy. Okay, yeah, Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, you know, where it's the opportunity to play in that world, except they get to play their character or their story. Right, finally. I got my letter from Hogwarts. Right. <laughs> so how did I not start with that? Right. Although there's no licensed RPG, so I don't know. Right, that's why. <laughs> and then, of course, there are plenty of theater kids uh, or people who have joined improv troops or sketch comedy troops who definitely can put those skills to work in an RPG. Yeah, and so then you're kind of relating to it as like you are the actor and the audience as well as like the writer and the director, but instead of us deciding on like a, or using a script to resolve dramatic questions, we use dice to resolve dramatic questions. Yeah, wait, you're supposed to just uh, name random objects and I need to work them into the system. Great, you're playing a conjurer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think it's important to keep in mind like these, I think touchstones and personality types do sort of track to some of the player profiles that we've talked about um, from like Robin's uh, laws of good game mastering, right? Like the butt kicker, the mm-hmm. munchkin, um, the tactician, like all of those different roles, the method actor. Um, however, like that, those are play preferences and the new player might not have those preferences very well revealed until they actually get to the table, right? Like the person who's interested in this because they have a background in theater um, might not actually care all that much about the specific role-playing stuff. And like, this is their chance to dig into mechanics. So you can't make those assumptions, right? Like maybe they just want to beat stuff up for a while. Yeah, (laughs) actually, I think a lot of new players gravitate towards, I'm going to hit things really hard and I want to see some big numbers. Yeah, that's the escape part, right? Yeah. Like, there's there's definitely, like, an escapist attitude of, like, cool, I don't get to beat things up and be a hero in my day job. It's soul-sucking. I would just like to do that, please. All right, so once you've got them on board, at least initially, you know, they're going to try this out. You've got to introduce the game. And the first thing I you really need to do is teach the bare minimum mechanics required so that they can actually jump in and start playing. Don't really do any more than that. You'll demonstrate additional rules or additional concepts as needed once you get to that in the game. Yeah, or they end up being that personality type where they really, really dig into the mechanics and they really like that. And then don't worry about it. They'll seek out the rest of the mechanics as necessary because like, you know, those engineering and puzzle types will go read the book. You know, like they'll solve the system on their own. You're not going to give them the overview they need. Cool. Now they're just theory crafters. <laughs> right. So like that's always like the me- the core mechanics, right? So like in Dungeons and Dragons, that's roll a d20 and add a number. I just need to show you where do you find that number on your character sheet? Um, or like, you know, uh, a Palladium game is like, how do you build your dice pool of d10s? And what do those dice rolls mean? They mean fuck all. It's a palladium game. You <laughs> fail. <laughs> then I think the next thing you want to make sure you do is introduce the setting and the concept of the game. Um, this is where you use those cultural touchstones like Game of Thrones, except it's like Star Wars, but actually it's just the world of Warhammer 40k. You already know all about it. And and this this purpose is to kind of like set the like the parameters of the game around them. You know, like it's a fantasy role-playing game that might mean something to a Baldur's Gate player that it does not mean necessarily to like a Fallout player, for example. Yeah, like compare this to the advice we gave in our episode on recruiting a new player. If you're dealing with someone who already knows about RPGs, you can use the terminology that is common to RPGs. Like, oh, here's the tone of the story. Here's the setting that we're playing in. Here's the system that we're using. But for someone who doesn't know anything about RPGs, those terms don't mean anything. So it's much easier to relate it to something that they already understand. 
like if you say it's just like 40k like we are playing 40k you don't need to use words like tone or grim dark they know what to expect already yeah exactly though you might want to set like some parameters like oh no we don't play the tower the eldar we play the lowly human scum who have been pressed into the service of the inquisition we will be fighting the eldar well the dark eldar right (laughs) you know what to expect And then I think when you introduce these mechanics, make sure you focus on what's likely to be useful early on um, and what they're likely to see in the first session, because that's going to help it stick a whole lot better. Um, And then also it just avoids a lot of the unnecessary complexity that you can allude to, but not necessarily have to use. So um, a lot of times like systems have magic or like piloting or hacking systems that are either more complicated or just less commonly used um, that might not ever come up. So why bother learning all that stuff early on? Yeah, don't get into grappling. <laughs> There's, you don't need that yet. Probably yeah. you need that never. Uh, it's not that useful to start demonstrating 8th and ninth level spells in D&D. They're not going to get there for a very long time. Right. And give relevant information about the setting uh, for the first session just enough to sort of let them jump in and have an idea of who they want their character to be and why they might be in in this place. Yeah, like if you're playing in Forgotten Realms, which is fine. It's, it's not it's not fine. All right. Well, <laughs> but you probably don't want to go explaining the 39 different kingdoms and lands and and various different groups across Forgotten Realms, right? Like what's actually going to be relevant to them is the one city or the one town in the one place that has this one plot that's happening, right? Like the frontier town of Phandalin where there are local giant tribes and local goblin bands and they're about to go to war and probably ruin the town. So somebody should probably stop them. Right. Like politics in Cormier doesn't matter right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no one needs to know about all the problems in Chult. And, you know, people can figure out you know, their deep backstory or like their goals once they've actually played this character for a little bit. As if they're super new to this, don't get them bogged down in their birthright or provenance of their magic items. Right. Speaking of characters, now is about the time when you can begin making characters. Yeah, and this one is totally dependent on the person you're teaching. Um, so you really have to read their preference. Um, you can, you can, Work it out to where like they will build the character sheet and you just need to help them flesh out the character itself so that it fits into the world and the story. Um, likewise, they might come with a concept for a character and you could build the character sheet for them so they don't have to bother with all the fiddly mechanics. Um, or they could be completely independent, right? Like I built my first character without ever having any guidance. It's certainly doable. Yeah. What would be a good time for everyone to get together to do this? I don't know, can you think of a scenario maybe where maybe you would do session zero huh but i mean i think a lot of times when you have new <laughs> players you don't get a session zero right like you just get people showing up to game night and wanting to play so if you can't do an official session zero it is helpful to do it together as a group one so that the entire burden isn't on either the gm or like the friend who's bringing in this extra person to get them completely up to speed you can have a group of people who are knowledgeable in different ways about different aspects of the game um, also it helps people see one, how the game is played because they can watch other people doing it, but also gives them an idea of the different kinds of characters who could show up because you can look at the other characters at this table, you know, just begin with, okay, who are you playing and and what do they do? Oh, I'm a dwarf rogue and you know, I come from this place and here's my role in the party. Yeah. I think what I would generally advise is to direct newer players towards more archetypal characters, right? Like if you want to play the warlock, play the, uh, infernal pact warlock, Mm -hmm. you know, like you made a deal with the devil. It's simple. Um, if you want to be the fighter play, like, I mean, the champion fighter is tough to recommend, but you know, just play like the tall, strong, heavily armored fighter. Uh, you don't necessarily have to go for some exotic or esoteric build with a first character you know like the assassin rogue everybody gets it any barbarian (laughs) right (laughs) as long as it's shouty right what do i do oh uh, you scream and then you hit things right i got it cool and so once you've got characters then it's time to run the game uh and the most important tool for that is patience 
Yeah, you will have already maybe exhausted a lot of your patience on on making a character. You know, you get a lot of people who end up with analysis paralysis and can't decide between two things or someone who is happy to just take whatever pregen they've been handed. But now you're actually in the game. Now is the time to point out how rules are interacting with the story. You know, they understand the the very basics, right? Pick up that D20, great, roll it on the table, make sure it stays on the table, cool. Add the number, which number? Well, let's take a look at your sheet. What's the relevant number that applies here? Add that, now you have a result, awesome. Yeah, I mean, where the patience especially comes in is like, hey, this is the third time you've made a stealth check and you still don't know how to roll a D20 and add the number on your sheet. To be fair, there are players who've been playing this for 10 years and still don't quite understand how to make a simple skill check. You're not wrong. <laughs> Where's my modifier? Where where does it go? Right. What's our proficiency bonus? This game came out in 2014. <laughs> Perhaps patience in all things. <laughs> uh, but I do think, like you said, it's helpful to highlight those mechanics and then especially don't necessarily like take the shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Uh, if you watched us playing like like Dark Heresy, for example, like there are a lot of ticky-tacky like plus 10, minus 10, plus 20, minus 20, plus 30, minus 30 like modifiers that we just throw around pretty quickly. And it's like, I'm aiming, it's short range, blah, blah, blah. I'm at a plus 50. Whereas like it might be useful to actually explain each of those modifiers each time, right? So what is your range? Did you aim? Did you brace? Are you doing this? Like, what is the weapons, like, accuracy bonus? Like, right? Like, go mm-hmm. through all the different parameters so that the players are learning, like, oh, here's how I construct this plus 50 modifier, right? Or, like, they can get a sense of, oh, I'm rolling it a minus 20. That's pretty bad. I probably shouldn't do that. Right. Show your work. Walk them through everything every time. Even build a little mental checklist, right? Here are the four types of modifiers you might be dealing with, the bonuses or penalties, even if like it's obvious that you know something doesn't apply, you can bring it up because it might apply in the future, right? Are you prone? No, you're not prone. Okay, great. That means you don't have disadvantage here. Right. Uh, it's good if you can um, to make a couple like cheat sheets for players. Not every player will use it for for sure. Um, some will just have to be repeated to, but other players will self service if they have the information available to them. So, like, you know, you can't get frustrated if players don't use it, but it's always helpful to put it in front of them. At the same time, try to, at least to start off, have all the other players do that as well, not just when it is the new player's turn. You know, talk about the decisions you're making, why you're making them, explain why you're choosing to be in this particular square rather than a different square. That helps the new player also begin to have a grasp of the tactics or begin to understand what is a reasonable thing to do in this game and what is not a reasonable thing to do, right? In some games, I leap onto the chandelier and then swing down and attack is exactly what you're supposed to do. And in others, that is four skill checks. And why would you do that, you idiot? That's that's not even in some games. That's at some tables. Okay. <laughs> right? Like in D&D, that is either an acrobatics check with pretty low risk because it's awesome, or it's 16 different steps to resolve this and you're almost certainly breaking your neck in the process because I'm an old grog and that's just how we do it. In Dark Heresy, you definitely fail at least three of those checks. Right. <laughs> Whereas like in Blaze in the Dark, that is just the description of your basic move. Right. That's a maneuver. Right. <laughs> Um, I do think it's helpful to do this as well because like a lot of times new players will see mechanics in use and be like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that, right? Like, oh, you stabbed him with a rapier and a dagger. How do I get to use two weapons? What mm-hmm. do I need to do to do that? Like, that sounds cool for my character. I would like to do that. Or like, how did you do that? How come you got to pick up that huge pile of sneak attack dice and roll them? I want to roll more piles of dice. How do I do that? Right. And then you can either say well great here's the decision here are the decisions you can make to make your character more like that or you can set it in counterpoint to the abilities that they already have right you can't fight with two weapons you do have a giant two-handed sword though right or you get angry and then nobody hurts you right (laughs) i have nine hit points total i'm level five (laughs) Uh, you shoot fire from your hands i don't know if you feel like that's cool too but you could try that see see how it feels um, then when it comes to actually, you know, resolving these roles, I I would recommend streamlining that as much as possible. Um, you know, like you said, right, the um, the swinging chandelier move, 
certainly you could kind of pixel that into like four different roles and then you know your chances of succeeding or failing on any one of them aren't necessarily great so you're going to wind up like in some slapstick comedy situation instead of actually looking like a cool guy swinging on a chandelier and you know flanking the enemies um if you can avoid that and just let the cool thing happen or like skip through maybe the intermediary steps there and just get to the end um, so that the game keeps moving forward, I think that tends to make players feel better. Like it, it feels like this game is more complete and it feels like everybody understands what's happening rather than like, cool, this is the game where I suggest something and then we go look up a rule book for 20 minutes to make sure we did it right. Yeah. I, one thing I like about having a new player at the table is that it sort of reminds everybody that we're here to play a game and we're here to have fun because you can get in a rut where everyone already knows the modifiers, they like they know all the rules, so nobody ignores any of the rules, and you get bogged down in the minutiae when it actually probably is more fun and keeps the story moving more quickly if you just hand wave a fair amount of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I always recommend you keep the story moving and like don't bog down the game looking up rules, but I think it's especially true when you have new players that you just say like, look, this probably isn't right, but I will look it up later. We're going to do this to to move forward. You know, it like highlights for the player that you have that ability to just keep us moving. I actually think that many times you have a more fun session when there is somebody new or somebody who doesn't quite understand things because one, it does get everyone out of their rut, but because you are streamlining and people are on their better behavior typically because they want to set a good example and because they're focusing more on fun rather than getting all the rules right, you just end up playing pretty much any system in any game in a way that makes the end result better. You're sort of uh, burnishing the edges of, of a rough system or a, a group that maybe has... Uh, fallen into particular habits right so at the table you can also do things like assign a table buddy for a new person and this is i think particularly helpful if you have several new people each one can get paired up with somebody else and you might actually go as far as seating people next to their buddy and then like alternating so that everybody has someone at least one person next to them who knows what they're doing Mm mm-hmm yeah, especially when you play more complicated games where you're going to have lots of like rules or mechanical questions or complicated settings where there's lots of like intrigue and politics and background information that's important to kind of enjoying the story, right? Like a, a Game of Thrones type setting. Yeah, and um, it's super easy for the person who knows what they're doing to literally just put their hand over and like point at a spot on the character sheet right there and be like, oh, it's right there. There you go. And actually, if you look down here, like these, these are your weapons, etc. Or here, let me flip this page for you. Actually, it's three pages in because right. that's this game. Yeah, and and like as a as a new player, you can also be like, hey, I want to do this thing. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. Right? Or like, is it a good idea for me to rush in with my with nothing but a sword, or should I leave somebody else to do that? And it doesn't necessarily have to happen in front of the entire table, right? Someone else can be taking their turn, and the the two buddies who are paired off can have a relatively quiet, quick conversation on the side. Right. Okay, so let's there's there is no game for new players without having some type of adventure to run. So let's talk about a couple different ways to like types of games to introduce new players to. So first up of course is one shots, the game that you're gonna play once and then discard. It's kind of ideal for new players, honestly. Yeah, just like you're going to let them play once and then discard them. You just hit the iconic ideas of the game in a way that is going to resonate for your new players. I mean, if you can create a one-shot specifically for the new player or a group of new players, awesome. Um, but if it's Dungeons & Dragons, like, mention a dragon somewhere. They don't necessarily need to show up and fight the dragon, but demonstrate that that is a thing that happens here and also maybe go in a dungeon delve. Yeah. And then also, like make the core activity of your one shot the thing that the player says is interesting to them you know like you you sit and make a character with them like you've introduced them to the game like you hear their feedback what is the thing that sounds exciting to them like cool if they care about tactics and like the fiddly combat stuff then introduce some difficult fights like challenge them with combat if they're interested in like the mysteries and the investigations and the politics well then like 
make it a murder mystery and add a twist at the end. And if they say that they're most interested in role-playing character development, then just make sure that there are difficult moral questions and choices that they're going to have to make during this session. Maybe you barely pick up the dice at all if it turns out that that's the thing that they're interested in. Right. You know, I, even just like a game like D&D, right, where you where you necessarily have combat because that drives the story forward. Like, you ask the question afterwards, what do you do with the survivors? They're wounded. They're, they're your prisoner now. How do you treat them? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, they don't just disappear? Ah, hmm. Yeah, I wait for their bodies to disappear in 28 more seconds. And then I poke a random sack that showed up on the ground. Uh, yeah, exactly. Huh. <laughs> Pull out all the gold pieces. I hit tab. Is that not how this works? <laughs> I tab out and check the wiki for what to do next. <laughs> what if you are starting a new campaign with a new player? I think you're basically going to start that campaign off with something like the one shot that you would have planned, right? Have a strong first adventure concept ready and run them through that. Uh, While you're doing that, make sure that these new players have clear guideposts and directions on how to get through it. Don't make it too complicated. Honestly, that's probably good advice for any new campaign is like get everybody into the story, give them some options, find out how they react. And from there, you can plan out much more. Yeah, and then I think if you have, uh, as you know, any players want to do, but new players don't have any of the like meta text convention around it. Like, if a new player or new players are going off the rails, I think you just roll with it. <laughs> like, as long as they have forward momentum, you're good, right? That's why you keep a relatively simple story that they can follow along because at least that's one thing that pulls them forward. But if they have gone off and found their own story off. Like, you know, they left the road and got into the ditch. Like, that's fine. <laughs> like, make a great story in that ditch. That It doesn't need to be a railroad to have a good, you know, opening to your campaign. You just need to make sure that they're engaged positively. Yeah, this is a great time to move the location of the lair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because you want to you want to do things like avoiding those gotchas for decisions that they're going to make, right? They they don't necessarily have system mastery or understand the common assumptions that most RPG players have about a game. So they don't necessarily know that you don't want to wander to the to the left because I didn't put anything to the left because obviously the town is right here and I introduced you to all the NPCs. Right. I I think na- new players will naturally explore boundaries and limits, right? Like you have opened them up to the idea that like they can go anywhere and be anything, you know, like it's the computer RPG, except it's a human computer. So you don't have the limitations of planning in advance. Um, I, I think it's, it's important not to necessarily, not necessarily punish them for that. Um, you probably just want to dissuade them from doing the obviously bad choices. Right. But you definitely don't want to end up in a situation where the choker attacks from above because they were dumb and didn't say that they were looking up, right? They don't right. know that they need to do that. Also, they shouldn't need to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I, you know, if they, if they spring a trap because they didn't know they were supposed to ask to check for traps, make sure it's a pretty minor trap, and that's the warning for the next trap that you spring on them. Not like the, oh, well, sorry, you fell in a 10-foot pit filled with spikes, and now you're dead because you have three hit points. Right, you dummy. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. Right. This is actually a good time to be like, hey, you're a rogue and you're going into an old dusty hallway. You probably know that you should check for traps. Here's how you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, you know, you can get some, even with otherwise normal and well socially adapted players, you can end up with some murder hoboing as they kind of explore those limits, right? So uh, probably fair to, to make a note for them that if they murder the shopkeeper, they'll probably get thrown in jail or worse. But... You know, if they go through with it, congratulations, you're now running a jailhouse adventure. <laughs> yeah, you've really got to set up the the parameters for them because, all right, you might think, great, I have a, a patrol, like guards walking around town and, you know, they're keeping an eye on the shop and they're, you know, obviously making sure that people don't kill each other in the street. Great. Now I'll prevent murder hoboing. But at the same time, you might be telegraphing to someone who doesn't know the conventions of RPGs that they definitely shouldn't be breaking into anything when maybe you've you've basically planned like a heist mm-hmm. one shot. And they might be thinking, oh God, no, this place is crawling with guards. Why would we ever do that? That's a terrible right. idea. 
<laughs> yeah, there's constables everywhere. <laughs> Do you know what happens? I think they throw me in jail. <laughs> I proceed with diplomatic channels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what if you've got an existing campaign and you are bringing in somebody new? So I think you want to use similar techniques for that first session that you introduce them. Um, like you, you definitely want to kind of give them some space to be new players in that session or maybe in those first couple sessions. Um, but with the caveat that you want to make sure that their character is immediately involved in the ongoing story. You don't want to invite this question of like, well, why should we bring this new character along? Um, not unlike adding a new experience player to the party or, you know, replacing a, uh, a dead character or something like that. Like you want to give them the same kind of like introduction into the story, but it's all the more important because this is a new player and if they aren't having fun or they get rejected, they're going to quit. Right. You know, all of that effort that we often say players need to take on in addition to the GM in order to keep a story moving or in order to make sure that their character has a reason to remain with the party. New players have no idea that they need to do any of that. So the GM and the rest of the group needs to take ownership of that for them. Hey, we've introduced a new player. Great. Let's either come up with a reason that we would all want them with us or let's build in a connection to an existing character so that we're basically tagging them along. You know, we we are the ones who have decided that this person needs to come with us and that's why they're along for the ride. Yeah. Or, you know, you put them on the same story path and then like the introduction is because their paths have now crossed or have intersected or, you know, are now merged. Right. Like you can't go forward without each other now. So you're in the story for better or worse. I mean, I wasn't a new player, but you did this for my character in the first Morning Glory campaign. Right. Like Brand was chasing the rogue inquisitor Nistrum Shadar um, and had been captured by the vampire Lady Miravella while pursuing him in Zendrick. And then my first session with the group, they stumbled upon my character and freed him. So now it's like, oh, you're chasing this guy named Nistrum and I'm chasing this guy named Nistrum. They're probably the same guy and you just freed me. Like, let's team up. Like, go team. Right. As soon as you compared notes, it was like, oh, okay. And I had given you ahead of time information that the rest of the party didn't have. So you were also kind of a a quest reward. Yeah. Save the paladin, get his information. Yeah. Uh, same thing sort of happened with Rogue Trader. Uh, Susie initially didn't even have a character because she was bogged down at work for a few months while we were playing. And then she ended up joining at Thrillicon and decided that she was going to take over uh, Topsy, the remaining magical twin. Who was posing as the Rogue Trader captain, Silva Lionheart. Right. So, great. Now she's building a, a Rogue Trader. <laughs> Right. And so like what was a character that you guys had just left as like a figurehead now gained agency, right? And so she stepped right into the narrative. She has already been facing all the same problems you have. She has just been on the ship the whole time and now like is taking an active role in handling the colonies. Right. We already knew this character because we had defined her and you as the GM had uh, defined her in a way we we sort of like had built her together at least in terms of her personality Uh, and then you know Susie just sort of took over and took a hard left (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-huh well I mean we defined her as a character as like uh, a a crestfallen like 13 year old right like Susie took her over 10 years later as like a long like now an adult you know I've learned a lot being taught by a dark Eldar boson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, you had other teachers. No, no, pretty sure it was just the dark Eldar. But most importantly, I also like shiny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, this is all my stuff, but you won't let me have it. <laughs> so, Ishan, what are uh, what are some of your best sessions that you've you've had with new players at the table? Anything notable? You know, way back when we were playing 4th edition with this same group, uh, in the before Shane years, Steph joined for the first time and I think definitely hadn't played any 4th edition and I think had only played a very little bit of D&D before and was mostly like a video game player. Um, And we sort of just threw her in, like in the deep end. I think the group was level 14. (laughs) Oh, God. Right. And she was like, I 
don't know how to build a character in the system. I only have cursory knowledge of how to play this. Uh, can someone just build me a character and like, I'll figure it out. And so I built a level 14 <laughs> character for, and like the first session was like, uh, here you go. Uh, play, play this wizard. And from the, I think for the next probably two months, playing that character was a group effort where everyone was like, oh, wait, you can do this thing. Or, oh, like you have that skill. You know, you should check into this thing or you should do the research for this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know that that was necessarily the easiest or best way to do it, but it was a sort of trial by fire that ended up working out in the long run. Yeah, you were very lucky that she was dating a member of the group and therefore had like a strong inkling to overcome your bad introduction. And now she comes much more often than he does. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now she's the good player. <laughs> but I think the the thing I'm really getting at here is, yeah, you may not necessarily do this perfectly or correctly every single time, but as long as everyone's operating in good faith and is trying to make sure that everyone's having a good time and is like giving the new player the support, it's probably going to work out all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? Um, I taught my father... Oh, uh, how to play. Well, taught. I mean, I played fiasco with my father and my stepmother <laughs> uh, and my wife, who had also never played uh, any role playing game, though. I guess she had overheard role playing games being played. Um, we played. So to play fiasco, we I tried to make it as friendly for them as possible. So we played like the Boomtown setting, which is like the uh, like the Wild West setting um, or like whatever scenario i can't i can't remember what they're called for fiasco but like so it was all like a fiasco in a wild west town um so they understood the setting super well and then like i just kind of had to be like what is the thing that they would identify with in a very like improv heavy game i know whose line is it anyway <laughs> like so that's basically how i framed it was like cool so every scene will be like drew carey shouting out the concept of the scene and then the audience will vote on who gets the better outcome and they were like, cool, got it. That's what the dice mean. Like, I'll just hold on to these for a while. This is fine. And then at the end, we roll dice and figure out, like, how good or how bad everybody has it. So it ended up working. I don't, we've never played it since. So it didn't work <laughs> that well. But, you know, what can you do with a, with a couple, like, sexagenarians, septagenarians? I don't know. Hey, I get to be Colin Mockery. I'm in. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that was it it was like as long as neither of us have to be wayne brady we can't sing <laughs> dibs ryan styles <laughs> he's so tall uh and at the same time yeah if if they don't end up being rpg players long term at least they have a better appreciation of what you do with all your time yeah i mean it was a uh, it was fun for a night for them mm -hmm. all right do you hear that Ishan? uh yeah it's time for scenes from a hat don't worry, the points don't matter. All right, well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and find out who's playing. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice, minus meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. This week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of different parts to choose from. Wait, Shane, how do you fit thousands of parts on a single miniature? I mean, very, very carefully or mm -hmm. with a lot of glue. Uh, but in their case, they provide you an easy-to-use design tool that lets you build the perfect miniature online in a fully 3D in-depth character creator right in your web browser. Um, it's actually it's really cool. You can you can add all your options. You can customize each arm, each leg individually. You can choose your armor. You can choose your race. All of that stuff. Pose them however you'd like. Adjust the size. Like how thick do you want your model to be? That's thick with two C's, Ishan, because I'm you know down with the children. I, I know that you are. Mm -hmm. You are, in fact, a child. It's true. Mm -hmm. And you can have your character 3D printed in plastic or metal. You can also just get the downloadable model file and you can print it yourself if, for example, you have access to a 3D printer at home or, dare I say it, at work. 
And now as we're approaching the holidays, if you want to send someone the perfect gift, how about send them a Hero Forge digital gift card? They're delivered instantly via email, and they can be redeemed to allow someone to give the gift of a custom miniature quickly and easily. Just head over to www.heroforge.com slash hashtag gifts to get your gift card today. Uh, so today in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Headmaster. What uh, What's the Headmaster do, Shane? Headmaster used to be a teacher, but now runs the school. If he used to be an adventurer, he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. You know the type. I don't bring it up. <laughs> Wait, you had a life before? I saw the Headmaster in the grocery store. It was so weird. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Didn't know he ate. Thought it was just coffee. I mean, this is more or less your Dumbledore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh well, is it? What's the build? Uh, the build is Inquisitive Rogue 3, Enchanter Wizard 17. Yeah, that sounds like Dumbledore. Um, yeah, I mean, let's be honest here. Like, it's in the context of, of this, I think this is always going to be like kind of a powerful wizard, a powerful adventurer who has like a lot of keen insight and is very well equipped to deal with students and their shenanigans. Dumbledore definitely used to be a thief. <laughs> so from Inquisitive, we'll get expertise, probably investigation and then perception or insight if you're a Dumbledore. Um, you could also pick up Intimidation if you want to be more like a Trunchbull from Matilda. You get a couple sneak attack dice, cunning action, because, you know, you got to be quick to run after those kids. With Ear for Deceit, you can't roll less than an 8 on Insight versus a creature that is lying to you, which children do all the time. And then with Eye for Detail, you can use a bonus action to make a perception check to spot hidden creatures or make an investigation looking for clues. Yeah, to see who broke in and uh, tarnished the mascot. I really like the idea that this ability lets you do that in a fight for a bonus action, because otherwise, why would it matter? Like, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm measuring the size of the footprints. I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. <laughs> and then with Insightful Fighting as a bonus action, you make an insight check versus their deception, and then you can use Sneak Attack even if you don't have an ally adjacent to them. But what we're really here for now is Enchanter. Uh, with 17 levels, of course, you'll have ninth level spells. Um, at level 2, the Enchanter gets the Hypnotic Gaze ability. Um, as an action, you can charm a creature within 5 feet. Their speed becomes 0, and they are incapacitated. And it only costs you an action to, to maintain this. Yeah, you can stand there and lecture them for as much as you want, because talking is a free action. Exactly. <laughs> at 6, you'll get Instinctive Charm that forces a Wisdom saving throw to redirect an attack against you to someone else nearby. You know, you d deflect those harsh words and vicious mockeries from parents mm -hmm. back at the other parent yep you can use that once per target per long rest at level 10 you just get split enchantment so any enchantment spell that targets one creature can now target two you know the accomplices exactly and at 14 when you cast an enchantment to charm a creature it no longer remembers being charmed it makes an intelligence save or it loses memory of up to one plus your charisma modifier of hours that it's spent being charmed. Yeah, so ultra memory is pretty strong uh, and kind of pretty f***ed up. <laughs> like, that that's just running around in the world, to be honest. But, you know, I guess... Maybe you shouldn't put this on a teacher? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> I mean, modify memory as a spell also exists, so... Right. Yeah, I mean, you get to that point, you got to use responsibly. That's why you took a pedagogical oath. Yeah, okay? that's it. <laughs> All right. So in terms of leveling order, I think you want to start with three levels of rogue. That's your adventuring background. Um, and then take all of your levels of wizard. Yeah. A little weird if uh, your 15th level wizard professor goes off on sabbatical mm -hmm. to steal stuff. Well, I mean, how are you going to get that? Uh, uh, what is it? The the sorcerer's stone. The that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Nicholas Flamel was up to. Living far too long for his own good. Right. All right, Shane. Who is your headmaster? So my headmaster is actually uh, the end game for like an Indiana Jones type. He is a uh, he is a professor by trade uh, who, you know, is an archaeologist, uh, investigates tombs, raids, lost arcs. Um, spends his sabbaticals searching crypts for valuables. 
Um, you know, of course, to restore them to the museum, which he hopes to someday take over. Uh, but I think he actually enjoys the teaching part of his gig. And so he ends up settling in to uh, become headmaster of a school. Um, continues to develop his craft, right? Like, never wants to lose a step, but um, could easily be drawn out of his headmastership if something were to threaten the safety of his students. Yeah, like Nazis. Yeah, Nazis are the ones. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even need a sabbatical for that. The school will pay your PTO. (laughs) And hey, he doesn't even need a philosopher's stone because he's going to live, I think, at least 800 years or so after that sip out of the grail. Uh Uh-huh. Um, how about your headmaster? My headmaster is a guidance counselor by trade and in fact uses her enchantment abilities, hypnotic gaze, all of those sorts of things to calm students down, to get them to talk about their problems, uh, to, um, to force them to confront difficult issues. And then of course, that, uh, that eye for detail, all that insight is to just make sure that they are telling the truth both to her and, of course, to themselves. Mm-hmm. It's really the most important thing. I like that you're a guidance counselor who does not have the guidance spell. <laughs> <laughs> That's They leave that to the priests. <laughs> That's very nihilistic. Uh, all right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and say thank you to our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash thrill. We're $40 away from doing the Forgotten Realms campaign setting episode, and I'm actually kind of getting excited for it. Really? Okay. I mean, a little bit. Please take the money away so that we don't have to do it. <laughs> What are we going to say about the... I guess we'll find out. What are we going to say about the Forgotten Realms? I mean, All good ha- things, sh- assuredly. We have to subscribe to find out. <laughs> I don't have any thoughts until I find out when we have $300. Ooh, yeah. We should put a moratorium on talking about the Forgotten Realms until uh, Patreon forces us to do it. Okay. Well, that could take years, so... Uh, oh, no! <laughs> But thank you for the support. Uh, It is keeping the show going. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about playing dragon-marked characters. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Blade of Orion. Well, that's it for episode 227 of Total Party Thrill. I hope you lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by D&D Beyond. It is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. Use it to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. It has lots of awesome content for free, like the D&D Basic Rules, articles from writers like James J. Heck, and videos from Todd Kenrick. You can do stuff like look up all the spells that teleport stuff. Uh-huh. That's very handy. For, oh, I don't know, next week's Character Creation Forge, for example. We also had a uh, question in Discord recently about like high-level play and the use of certain abilities, and I was able to quickly look up how many high-level monsters have intelligence uh, saving throw proficiency. It turns out about 15. Yeah. Out of dozens. Over 100, frankly. <laughs> So, not a lot. Um, target intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's a good target. Mm-hmm. Uh, Artifice are good. Artifice are real good. All right. That sounds great. You can check it out at dndbeyond.com.